You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. There are two deep needs within each and every one of us that makes us up as a, as a person, two important and vital needs that make us, uh, that drive us in everything we do. Whether we realize it or not, these two important needs are this, to know God and to experience his love. To know God and to experience his love. We desire to know God and experience his love. You see, um, even, even those who do not call themselves religious, they, uh, or, or, or do not call themselves Christians, or, or, or follow other religions, maybe, <clears throat> we all know that we, as individuals, are not the center of the universe. We know that. And if you didn't know that, you've learned that this morning. <laughs> I'm sure some of you, even over the Christmas break, met with some family members who might think that way about themselves. But the truth is, um, we know that we are not the center of the universe. And we know that even about humanity. We know that there's something out there, something greater, something that puts morality in our hearts, something that makes us wonder, something that makes us have, see value, something that makes us Wonder about our purpose. God. We want to know who God is. And to experience his love. Not, not just any kind of love. Not just, you know, I love pizza love or, um, you know, I, I love um, uh, the, what is the, the football team you like? The, I'm sorry, the Rough Riders, right? Oh, the BC Lions. Oh, boy. Careful. Uh, no, this, the kind of love we pursue, the kind of love we both most deeply desire is the love from the Lord, an unconditional love. Why an unconditional love? Because we know deep down inside, we know ourselves well enough. We know our sinfulness. We know our selfishness. We know that we really want someone to love us, even knowing all those things about us. And the only person who can truly know us like that is a God, a God who sees us for who we really are, sees us for the mistakes we've made, sees us for the destruction we've left in our wake, and says, I love you. I love you despite all that. Every religion in the world tries to better define God, tries to better define his love, and every self-help book and every, uh, every vice in the world helps us try to ignore these desires within us. And every day we are either feeding this need within us or we are ignoring it. And I, I, I'm here and excited to tell you this morning that those needs are placed in you because you are meant to enjoy God. That's why we were made. We were meant and made to enjoy and worship the Lord, to have a relationship with him, to experience his love and to know him. And every day our flesh, the world, and Satan is trying to distort our view of God. It's trying to distort our view of unconditional love. Uh, the, the world is trying to teach us that love is just about romance or love is just about physicality or love is just about uh, temporary things or friendships. That love could be manufactured. That love is just brain synapses uh, snapping and, and things like that. But love is the love that we seek, the unconditional love that we need is the love only found in the Lord. And if we want to see the Lord clearly, 
Like a glass that's covered with streaks and like a glass that's covered with blemishes. You have to clean it up. You have to make clear our vision of who God is. We have to make clear our vision of what his love is really like. Because every day someone else, something, whether it be our flesh or the world, something is trying to teach us what God's love is really like. And so this morning, I'm excited for what God is going to share with you. For what God is going to do in my life as he makes clear who he is and what his love is like. And so there are three questions that this passage is going to answer for us today. How does God show that he loves us? And what did God do to love us? And what can God's, or sorry, and how can God's love abide in us? So as we look at this passage, this passage will help us clear off the glass of these streaks and this mistake so that we can see through clearly to see who the God who loves us really is. Would you look with me at 1 John 4, verse 9, to answer the question, how does God show he loves us? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest. Manifest is a bit of a strange word. It's not a word we use very often. Um, I, I doubt many of you at Christmas were manifesting gifts to each other. You were probably giving gifts and showing gifts, and you maybe, maybe uh, called, or uh, for Parker, he was FaceTiming family across the nation to show them the gifts that he had, but he was not manifesting gifts. To use the word manifest is a very specific word. It's a term that we use um, almost rarely. It means to show and to demonstrate with evidence. And, and this word manifest is the appropriate word um, that the ESV translates. And, and I would say, if you can, even just write the word manifest if you don't have it written in your Bible. Because the word manifest is, is important for us to understand God's love today. It's important for us to understand that the word manifest, what it means is that something isn't just hearsay. It's, it's not just uh, randomly shown or, or anything like that. It's, it's quite spectacular in the way it's demonstrated. For something to be manifest, it's so obvious you cannot deny it. It's a word that is withheld only for the obvious, only for the spectacular. And this is the word that we need to focus in on as we look at this, is we understand God's love because like I said, the world will continue to try and change how we see God's love and we might have different ideas. But this is what the passage says. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So when it says manifest, we got to wonder, what is this spectacular, obvious, primary way that God wants to show his love? It's this. It's that he sent his only son into the world. How do we know God loves us? Because he sent Jesus Christ. We know that God loves us so because he sent Jesus Christ into the world so that we might live through him. What is love? Love is the humility of the Son coming to the world. The love of God is the sacrifice of the Father willingly sending his Son. Love of God is it's the guarantee that, that Jesus would suffer coming into this world. It's a messed up world we live in. We're all coming from different hurts ourselves. This is the world that Christ chose to enter into. That's love. This is the love, the, the initiative of God pursuing us, pursuing you, pursuing me. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey. I don't know if you have been a believer of Jesus Christ for 40 years or maybe for four minutes. Or maybe you're not sure. 
But I want to tell you that the love of the Lord is a love that pursues you. Whether you've been a Christian for 40 years or you're not a Christian at all, he pursues you even this morning. He pursues me. And he takes that initiative. He loves us in such a way we have, that we might have life through him. You see, when we think about God's love, we are often tempted to fill our craving for God's love in all the wrong places. I, uh, when I was 14, I was invited to go to Toronto, um, or if you're from Ontario, Toronto. Um, the T is silent. <laughs> um, and when I was invited to go there, I was asked to uh, go with somebody. I was about 14, and they asked me to go and do street evangelism which for me was really just a form of peer pressure and dares because they would just go, I dare you to go talk to that 40-year-old dude and tell him God loves you. And I was like, okay, I'll do anything for your approval. Um, but I did. I, and so I would, I would run across. It wasn't re- obviously genuine street evangelism, and I wasn't obviously genuine about what I was doing, but I was running up to people and saying, God loves you. I'd hand them a tract. If you don't know what a tract is, tract's like almost like a little business card. It was like a conversation starter. Those things, we got to bring tracts back. Those are awesome. Um, but uh, it, was, it was me running up to strangers on the streets of Toronto and saying, God loves you. And, and people would have all sorts of ideas. People would just say, thank you. And, or, or they'd go, like, you know, it, they would sometimes go, what does that even mean? And, and even in my own head as a, as a youth, I, I didn't really understand what I was saying. I, I was just thinking, and some, oftentimes I would be looking at the person who I was saying God loves you to, and I'd go, how can they even feel like God loves them? Look at their life. Like, you know, they look either incredibly stressed or they look like they, they lack um, safety and security and, and comforts. And for me, in my immaturity, I thought, how could they feel like God loves them? You see, because what the world teaches us about when we hear the word God loves you, often we answer the question, how do I know God loves me? We say something like, well, I know God loves me because of the breath in my lungs. Or because um, because the the family I have around me, or I know God loves me because um, I really don't I don't want for anything. I have lots of things that the Lord has given me, and we will answer that question in many different ways. And those are good things; those are demonstrations of God's love. But the question this morning, if we really want to know the God, the God of the Bible, the God who has an unconditional love, is what is the manifest demonstration of His love? For me, in ministry, where I, where I get my own understanding of God's love distorted is in the approval of others. It's easy. It's easy for us to seek the approval of others as the means for which we will sense and feel God's love. It, you know, to go in, into ministry, um, it, it can look very selfless uh, from the perspective of many other people, but it can be a very selfish act just trying to go and do something because it makes a lot of people happy. You please people. You just go there and you make people happy. You make them feel good about themselves maybe or things like that. And, uh, and this is a lot of the reasons why sometimes people serve. And, and there are days where I struggle with this. Absolutely. There are days... Uh, I can think of times when I'm, I'm driving in my car and it's just me and, I, and, and I'm running through in my head the conversations that people are having. You know, I know I'm not the only crazy person in this room, okay? <laughs> you know, running through the conversations of what people are saying about me behind my back. 
And you know, I've caught myself doing this one thing numerous times in those little mind uh, journeys. <laughs> I've caught myself audibly saying, Brett's a good guy. That's, that's what I wanted to hear. That's just what I want to imagine people are saying about me, right? And, and again, I know I'm not the only crazy person in this world. There are other things that you say out loud and that you think to yourself and you just go, I just want to hear that from someone. I just want to sense that amount of love from someone. See, God manifests his love in the person of Jesus Christ for me. I don't need to find and pursue it in the words of somebody else saying, Brett's a good guy. And so today, this word is for me. You see, when we look to all these other places for God's love, we won't be satisfied. You won't be because you know what? Health is not guaranteed. Wealth is not guaranteed. Comforts and close family are not guarantees. But the sacrifice, the person of Jesus Christ, that can never be taken away from us. What he did for us on the cross. So God's manifest love, that's how he shows his love to us, through the person of Jesus Christ and the work done at the cross. It's at the cross that we will find his love. Will we accept that? Will we worship him for that? Or, or will we continue to look around in other places trying to find more comfort, manufacturing God's love in other places? Or, or, or other ideas about God's love? We, even we twist it in simple ways like saying God loves you just the way you are. I know that might sound like that's exactly the right thing to say. But I started a pretty heated conversation at a family dinner one time over that phrase. <laughs> Somebody said, God loves you just the way you are. And I said, no, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. And I'm thankful for that. I'm so thankful that God does not love me just the way I am. Because it's the way I am that caused God to come down to this earth. It's the way I am and the choices I make that caused the Lord to choose to die on a cross for my sins. It's the way I am. God loves me despite the way I am. And thank goodness, he has a much better vision for who I could be than I do. There are many ways that God loves us, but Christ, the coming of God in the flesh, is the manifest way of God's demonstrating his love. In my marriage, if I said that the manifest way my wife displayed her love to me was washing the dishes, <laughs> you, that, whoever laughed knows exactly where the, this, what kind of result would, would come from that. Um, that is not the manifest way of my wife dis, displaying her love, of Becca showing her love for me. The manifest way was done on our wedding day when she made those vows to me. I made those vows to her and we have a covenant with the Lord. And yes, it was one day, but it is also every day for her, for the rest of her life. <laughs> Don't laugh at her. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but this is the truth. And I love going to weddings for this reason. Beck and I love going to weddings, not just uh, because of the, the celebration of the couple and, oh, the cute romance. And we sit there and we roll our eyes and go, oh, See what time does. And <laughs> but we love, the, we love the vows. We love hearing those vows, reminding us of the, the great vows that we made to each other and that we will commit for each other. And you see, every Sunday for us here at this church will be like going to a wedding. 
Because every Sunday, we will always sing of the cross here at Hope Bible Church. We will always preach of the cross. We will always preach and worship the name of Jesus Christ. We will not waver from that. Because every Sunday, we will come back to the manifest way that God displays his love for us. Praise the Lord. Amen. So the cross will continue to be the center of our teaching. The cross will continue to be the center of our worship here. And when we set our hearts and eyes on coming here on Sunday morning, it won't be about whether or not we will worship. We will know what we're doing. Saturday night is not, oh, I, wonder what we'll, I wonder what we'll worship tomorrow. It's not, a, it's not a menu. There is one thing that we will worship, and that is the God of the universe who came and showed his love in the person of Jesus. God's love, if you're looking for it, is found at the cross. Second question that this passage answers for us is, what did God do to love me? What did God do to love me? Look with me at uh, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. There's a word for you. Propitiation is a, is a pretty big word. I, I, if you have it, highlight it. If you don't, write it down. Propitiation. It's a, I think it's up there on the screen. I have trouble spelling it, so um, it's there for you. <clears throat> this word propitiation is really important for us today. It's important for us today in, in this passage, understanding God's love, but it's really important for us today as a church. It's important for us today as Christians and believers in Canada because this word propitiation is actually under attack. There is a very prominent teacher in Canada with a large um, church following and teaches in a seminary who has uh, purposefully tried to remove this word from the Bible and from teaching. And it's it's a very subtle and very dangerous thing. But when it comes to God's love, we are always going to be tempted to restructure God's word. We will be. We will be tempted to restructure and reinvent uh, our ideas and change our ideas about God's love. And this very subtle and dangerous change of the word propitiation is a change from the idea that God's love is passionate and sacrificial and, and it makes it more like God's love is more light and casual and noncommittal. Remember from Romans 12 too, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what did God do to love us? He propitiated. Propitiation is a big word, and, and uh, we're going to open it up. I, I like the description, the illustration that these big Christian theological words, um, they're like a suitcase. <clears throat> Now, um, we have people that have probably traveled into town or maybe have traveled uh, away for, for the Christmas breaks. And, and when you travel, you bring a suitcase and you pack everything in there. You put your underwear, your toothbrush, and your, your socks and, and something nice. And if it was Christmas, then you would pack maybe some gifts. My in-laws did that. They packed some gifts for us. They even wrapped them before they put them in the suitcase, um, which ended up being a really nice blessing for the security guard who got to open a gift uh, during the security uh, panel, finding uh, a gift in there. Um, the reality is that a suitcase is, is actually kind of a means of security. You, you have to know all the content in it in order for you to feel secure. It's kind of like your wallet. If you, I don't know if anyone's like me, but I, whenever I have my wallet, I'm always doing this thing where I, like, I'm touching my pocket to make sure it's with me. It's just a, uh, I know that my identification, my money, it's all in there. 
And so as we unpack this word, we're going to find um, security and understanding. We're going to really uh, have to take it out and see what's in it. And then we'll pack it back up and we're gonna, you're going to see this word propitiation in the wor- word of God. And you're going to look at this and you're going to remember this word and go, man, what a great work that God has done. So this word propitiation, what it means is it means to appease or pacify someone's anger or wrath. To appease or pacify someone's anger or wrath. Um, so, in our household, my son has a very easy ability to propitiate my wife's anger or wrath. All he has to do is smile at her. That's it. All he has to do, this kid, he can throw a ball right straight at her head, and then she'll be like, Parker, and he'll go, hmm. And you just see the joy just well up within her. She's like, oh, you're just too cute. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take much. And, uh, the other reality is that Becca has that same effect on me. Um, in the context of Christianity, though, this is, uh, this is talking about the work of Christ on the cross. When he died on the cross, he propitiated the wrath of God. He appeased, pacified the wrath of the God, of, of, and God's wrath against our sin. This word propitiated was used in other religions, ancient religions, when it would talk about, like, you know, if you think about it, like the angry volcano god, right? And they would go and they would drop things into the volcano to appease the angry volcano god. And, uh, and they would make sacrifices, sometimes even human sacrifices, uh, to appease the god. And uh, in, in the context of Christianity, though, it's, it's obviously much different. Much different than, than Becca and much different than the angry volcano God because our God is a holy God. And so for, t- for today, I want to clarify three important, important realities. Three clarifications that will help us understand how God's propitiation is unlike any other. First of all, God's anger is pulls apart from ours. God's anger and wrath, it might not seem... Um, culturally relevant to talk about a God of wrath today. Um, It might not seem politically correct, but the truth is that God's wrath and anger is so different from our understanding of wrath and anger, so different from us. God's anger is, and his wrath, it's a righteous, it's a holy wrath. It's, It's not vain like our anger. It's not proud or defensive like ourselves. What provokes God's anger is only evil. What provokes ours is Usually injured vanity. You see, we need to understand the love of God and the wrath of God through the, through the picture of understanding the holiness of God. Our God is set apart. The only thing that angers him, what angers him is evil. So when we think about sin and injustice and God's wrath, the question for us is, how unlike us, how holy is our God? God's anger is pulls apart from ours. Number two, for clarifications, nothing we can do, say, or offer, or even contribute can compensate for our sins or turn away God's anger. You see, in the angry volcano God situation, uh, somebody would toss something into the, into the uh, volcano to appease this angry God. They would put animals or, or, or things like that and and the reality is this, is that the people were doing something to change that God's mind, or they were trying. But the reality is we can't do anything to change God's, uh, to change God's disposition towards sin. He cannot be holy and be tolerant of sin. So, 
We can heap up all of our good works as much as we want, but none of it can do anything about the debt that we owe, the wrath we deserve. See, it takes an eternal life to to pay that price. It takes a holy life to pay that price. It takes a perfect life to pay the price. The initiative has to be taken by God himself in his mercy and in his grace. This is why the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He chose to go to the cross. He, in his love, chose to do this for us. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Even in the Old Testament, we see this pretty clearly, in which the sacrifices were not recognized as human works, but as divine gifts. The sacrifices the Israelites gave did not make God become gracious. They were provided by a gracious God in order that he might act graciously towards his sinful people. And number three, God offered himself. He did not put a scapegoat on the cross. He did not send a prophet. He came in the flesh. He manifests his love in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, Christ is God and therefore God himself died for us. Only God, our Lord, our creator could take our place, could suffer eternal death in our stead as the consequence for our sin. You see, propitiation is a very important word for us today. It's important for us. It's so vitally tied to the holiness of God, the initiative of God in saving us, and the Trinitarian nature of our God. So what did God do to love you? God's love appeased God's wrath with God's life. God loved you so much that he paid his own price. The price he paid with his own life, the price that we owed to turn away his wrath. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. Our last question is this, how can God's love abide in me? How can God's love live inside of me? Let's look at verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. One of, the, one of my favorite aspects of theology is God's love For himself. God has this overflowing love. You see, before all of creation, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have perfect community and unity. Loving each other so much and and rightfully so. But he decided to make creation and to make us. Not out of a need. God does not need us. But he made us because he knows that we would enjoy him. And he loved to see the joy that is on our hearts as we reflect him. You and I are made out of the overflow of God's love. See, God is love. And so wherever his love is, there he is. So if God's overflowing love made us, how can it abide in me? How can I have this love? How can I enjoy this love? Verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You see, 
If you want to know God, if you, if you are actively pursuing this, this fulfilling of your need to know God and your need to know his love, you will find that his love will constantly push you to love others. It will expect you to. We ought to. And we know people are to be loved. But sometimes we struggle. Sometimes people are not easy. <laughs> right? Um, there's a, a, a favorite quote of mine that says, uh, pastors um, are shepherds and shepherds know that sheep stink. <laughs> uh, and it's true. Shepherds stink too, by the way. <laughs> um, our communion, our relationship with God is deeply connected to our love for others. If you want to have a relationship with God, a deep relationship with God, it'll also include a pursuing of his love for the sake of loving others. And so if you want to love others and you want to love them well, we're going to have to love them with the kind of love that God fills us with. And that's a love that's found in his manifest love, the gospel. The gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. And we need to see people the way God, pe God sees people. We want to see people even the way that God sees us. And so we need to look at people through the gospel, through the story of, of Jesus Christ dying for their sins. But often we're tempted, aren't we? We're tempted to manufacture love for each other out of something else. We're tempted to, to love each other out of shallow versions of love sold in this world. Because we see people love each other even outside of the church. But when people come to the church, they are to experience God's unconditional love. And, and even experiencing that through the body of Christ. But it's hard. It's tough. But it's, it's done when we fill ourselves up with the, the love of the Lord. When it fills us up, it's like an ocean and we're like a, a small, tiny cup. It can't help but overflow. This is why we need to fill up on the gospel every single day. This is why Christians will continue to try and teach and preach different ideas about community and building community and, and caring for each other. And, and our church desires that. In our groups, we desire to see mutual care happening. But it cannot happen out of shallow versions of God's love. It cannot happen out of um, wrong ideas about love. We have to look at each other through the gospel. Because what we see in the gospel is a love that is sacrificial. We see a love that is long-suffering. We see a love that takes the initiative. A love that is forgiving. But when we try to live off of well, we, we like each other because we have similar interests. Interests change. We like each other because we're around that same life stage. Things change. You see, at Hope Bible Church, our mixed groups are mixed groups of all generations. We do that on purpose. We do that so that people can love each other through the gospel primarily and, and even not get distracted by the temporary and cheap versions of love that we find in the world. Because if we use those, when push comes to shove, when we deal with sinful, stinky sheep, we're going to have a tough time. We'll, we'll try and love people out of our power over them. We'll try and love people by evaluating their worth. Going, oh, they're, they're a good guy. You know, they're a good person. They, they do nice things. They go to church. You know, I, I, I can put up with them. We try to love people 
maybe by controlling how close they are to us, right? I love that person just at a distance, <laughs> right? We love people if we have the moral high ground, if we know that we're better than them, right? Rationalization, power, control, pride, manipulation, these are all tactics for which we try to love each other, but it's really the God, God's love through the gospel that we are to use because people are messy. My life is messy. Our life as a church will be filled with raw, real people with real problems. Welcome to Hope Bible Church, <laughs> where the people are real, the problems are real, and the gospel is always good. Amen? So when people sin against us, what does the gospel say? The gospel says that they haven't primarily even sinned against us as much as they've sinned against God. We need to see them through the gospel. We must resource our love for others in the truth that God loves them first. You see, our misunderstanding of injustice is this, is that often that we can't tell the difference between revenge and avenge. And so when someone sins against us, we're often thinking about ourselves. But you have to understand that the holiness of God demands that he is primarily the one who the injustice is done against. And so we journey with each other when we see sin in our lives. We lift each other up. We bear each other's burdens. We, we confront in love and truth, but not to save our reputation, not to be on some high and mighty horse, but for the sake and the name of the Lord. You see, I, there's a part of me that wants to say, like, church, let's get back to lamenting. Let's get back to lamenting when people sin. You know, sometimes we can be so focused on our own lane about our sin with God, our relationship with God, all these types of things, we forget to be mournful and sad about the sin done against the Lord by others. And I don't mean outside this church, first and foremost. I mean even within our families and within this church and then outside of the church. Yes, we will lament for the, the sin that is done against our great God. You see, when you see everything through the gospel, as I grow in my ability to put on the goggles of the gospel, I will see more clearly how to love people. It's like seeing a 3D movie. If you've seen a 3D movie recently in one of these theaters, they, they give you glasses. Because if you don't put on the glasses, it's pretty distorted. <laughs> you're not going to make out, well, you might make out a little bit of what's going on, but you're not seeing it clearly for the way it's meant to be seen. And so we have to put the goggles of the, of the gospel, the glasses of the gospel on every single day and look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I see me for who God sees me as. Forgiven, a child of God. Sinful, not yet done. I wear the righteousness of Jesus. So this, that's how we are to see ourselves. And then, and then out of that, even going further and looking at other people and saying, I see this person, a sinner, in need of salvation. Someone who needs God's love displayed through me. Yes, people sin against us. But we must submit and mourn the fact that they sin against God first. That's wearing the gospel goggles. So we will continue to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We will continue to remind ourselves that we are sinners. We will remind ourselves the manifest way that God loves us. 
the work done on the cross through the propitiation. If God has been so long-suffering with you and I, how long-suffering can I be with others? Forgiveness. We need to practice forgiveness. I don't know why, but for some reason, the Lord laid on my heart um, as I was reading this passage, just reiterating the truth that, church, we need to forgive each other. So important. In my very few years of ministry, as I've dealt with um, and, and I've, I've cared for and, and I've worked in my own heart through situations, complex situations, tough ones, ones where leaders or parishioners or whatever people within the church have sinned against each other. Often I have found that people have put distance to, to manipulate a form of love. They've, they've, um, they've held power over others to manipulate a form of love. But often, the last thing that people run to is uh, forgiveness. Um, think of Jim Elliott's wife. Jim Elliott was a, uh, a missionary in India who was killed by those he went to go share the gospel with. And his wife, Elizabeth, decided to publicly and said she forgave these, these people and then beyond that, went to these people again with her toddler, like the child of this man, to go and share the gospel with them. See what forgiveness does? Forgiveness is always a demonstration of the manifest way of God's love. Forgiveness is always a demonstration of, of Christ. Today, you're, you, today is probably a day I pray that today is the day that you would forgive. You know, the Bible says um, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive me as I forgive others. Maybe the thing that is stunting your relationship with the Lord today is that you have not, through the gospel, seen others around you properly. And so you haven't forgiven them. Maybe not within even this church. Maybe it's from a previous church, a previous pastor or leader. Today is a day to forgive. We will have some, some leaders here at the end of the service down here by the cross. It's, this is not something to put off. Come down, meet with them. They want to pray with you. Because forgiveness is a process. It's not done flippantly or easily. To be done to its fullest form takes some heart work. I know that. One of the hardest things that has ever been for me in my heart and my journey was forgiving someone. Just not holding something against them. Not, not keeping them on a leash or releasing them to the Lord. Beloved, this is, this is God's love made manifest amongst us. Christ Jesus comes into this world, looks at our sin, and says, I will pay the price. I will de defeat death in the grave because I love you. I love you despite the way you are. I love you, Brett, despite the way you are. I will propitiate the wrath that, I, God's, that God so justly deserves. And pay the price for us. 
This morning, I want to tell you that God is love. And you are loved. So our response in this is to go and love. I'm going to invite the band up right now as we are going to sing of how deep the Father's love is. But I want to encourage you in a very practical and applicable way as we look at our 5G life, we have a, uh, a, an understanding for discipleship here called the 5G life. And it goes like this, God time, gather time, group time, give time, and go time. In your God time, in your daily time with the Lord, fill up on God's love and fill up on it found in the cross. When you read your Bible, when you read it, no matter where you're reading it, ask the question to yourself, what does this have to do with the gospel? Gather time. When we come here, church, when we come here on Sundays to worship the Lord, we will set our eyes on worshiping God in his manifest love, singing of the cross, singing of Jesus Christ, lifting his name high, praising him unhindered. Let's not let distractions distract us. We're here to praise the Lord. Sing out with all your voices. And in group time, when God's love will get to spill out of our lives into the lives of others, when it overflows us, discipling through forgiveness by being long-suffering, helping each other, carrying each other's burdens, recognizing that our sin as individuals and as a group is first against the Lord. And then give time when we're so satisfied with how much God loves us, how much he has done for us, so content in either want or in plenty, being able to give away, give away our time, give away our treasures, God has so graciously given us so much in his love. And then go time. Who will you go to show love to? God's love to? Who will you say, God loves you, and let me tell you how he manifests his love? This city, I'm sure even within your own families, people need to hear that. So let's go. God is love. You are love, so go love. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to have clarity from your word on who you are and what your love is like. Lord, there has been so, there is so much destruction in our lives of, of our vision of you, of our understanding of ourselves. Even, Lord, many of us carry hurt um, from other believers. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for how you've forgiven us. Help us, O Lord, to see others through your gospel. Give us the power, the ability to forgive. We look forward to next Sunday and every Sunday here at church when we continue to sing of the cross, to praise you for the work done in the person of Jesus Christ. You are faithful. We love you. Amen.